Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. I think that it's a big mistake only to look at spreadsheets and numbers because, as you know, when you buy a property, you don't know what's going to happen. And if you have one empty month or if you have to do an expensive repair, your whole spreadsheet can be out the window. Best ever listeners, wouldn't it be nice to have a $2 million pre-approval line of credit? Uh, Just think about that. Isn't that nice? Wouldn't that be nice? How would that help you get more deals done? Because when you submit a pre-approval line of credit with your offer on a fix and flip house, do you think it's going to stand out more? I think so. And our friends at Fund That Flip, you know Fund That Flip, Matt Rodak, he's been on the show before many times. He's a friend of mine. He's also the owner of Fund That Flip and they're a sponsor of today's episode. What they're doing is they're giving a $2 million pre-approval line of credit up to $2 million pre-approval line of credit for qualified buyers. And my gosh, in this competitive buying market, sellers prefer to sell to buyers who have a high likelihood of closing, right? Makes sense. Well, use this pre-approval line of credit from Fund That Flip and that will signal to the seller that you're the real deal and you'll be able to close quickly. It's free. All you got to do is go to fundthatflip.com. You've got to qualify that you have prior experience and there's a process, but it's free and you need to go to fundthatflip.com to get the pre-approval line of credit because this is a way that's going to help your short-term rehab loan happen because you're going to get the deal for the property where you need the short-term rehab loan. Go to fundthatflip.com and get that pre-approval line of credit for up to $2 million. Best ever listeners, hello, how you doing? Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is a show where we cut out the fluffy stuff and we only talk about the best advice that moves your business forward. We've spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and many others. And with us today, we've got a seasoned New York City real estate investor and broker. How you doing, Tiga McLeod? I am awesome. Thank you. I like that word seasoned. It's so much kinder than crusty or old or crotchety. <laughs> Well, I'm glad that you are all the above and you're enjoying things. And boy, I'm looking forward to this because a little bit about Tiga. He's got 23 years now in real estate in New York City. He's a licensed real estate broker at City Habitats. He uh, also 
does investing. He's got real estate investments in both New York City and Michigan. He's from Ann Arbor, Michigan. He is a graduate of the University of Michigan Business School with a dual degree in finance and marketing. And he is based in New York City, New York. You can say hi to him at, I love this URL, Tiga, T-I-G-A, his name, dot N-Y-C. So very interesting URL, Tiga.nyc. With that being said, Tiga, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Absolutely. Um, let's see. Well, I came to New York in 1991, and I bought my first apartment one year later in 1992. That was at a pre-foreclosure auction. I was just looking for something to do. And I ended up buying a rent-stabilized co-op apartment. And it's a little bit complicated, but basically you are buying an apartment with someone living there paying very low rent, and you cannot kick them out. You're losing money every month, and you sort of have to hope that they move on or vacate or will be open to a buyout. And then that's how I got started. It was sort of a, a lucky stroke. I, I bought an apartment for $12,500. It was a pretty large apartment by New York City standards. There were older people living there. I had information that they would be moving on, and that's exactly what happened. And so that worked out, and that's how I got started. It was basically a $7,000 loan from my grandmother, plus a, listen to this, a $6,200 mortgage from the building sponsor, because at the time, I had no money. I just had, like, <laughs> a, a couple a couple of good ideas. You know, it was a crazy foreclosure market in the 90s. Joe and I mean they were they were almost giving apartments away in New York City and I was working at Citibank at the time at a desk job and I saw this foreclosure list and I said to one of my coworkers you know I bet you someone could buy one of these things they're so cheap and rent it out to somebody else and my coworker looked at me and he said dude if it was that easy everyone would be doing it <laughs> and to me that that that's not a good reason not to do something just because you know someone throws out a comment like that and it ended up being feasible. So that first apartment had a negative cash flow, and the only way I, like, I could figure to get out of my negative cash flow was to really stretch it and try to find two or three more funky situations just like that, which I did. I, I borrowed money on credit cards. I took a credit line through Citibank. I ended up buying a total of three apartments, one for $12,500, one for $20,000, and one for $50,000. And these were all one-bedroom apartments in Manhattan, in great neighborhoods, with a bit of a way back. Wow, all right. Uh, yes, that's how you got started. I'd like to know the end to these stories. So on the 12500 apartment to twenty k and the fifty k apartments, how much are they worth now, and do you still have them? What happened, Joe, is I, I held those apartments until September 11th, and actually... in and I picked up another brownstone on the way in Brooklyn. And then in my, on September 11th, really everything changed because tenants were leaving the city in droves. And, you know, if you're a small investor and you've got mortgages, you really can't tolerate that for very long. So after September 11th, what I did was I sold two of the three co-op apartments. The one that I bought for, you know, the one that I, I bought for 20 for twenty thousand, I think that sold for like one sixty nine or something. And the one that I bought for fifty, I probably got like you know two thirty or something like that for that one. So I made some nice profits. 
and I used that to renovate the original one that I bought for 12500 made that really nice, and then put more focus on my brownstone because those were roommate apartments in the brownstone. So those people weren't leaving the city after 9-11. But the people who were on the hook for, you know, 2500 a month, 3000 3500 a month, those apartments became empty really, really quick. But actually, there were actually buyers in the market after September 11th because people were looking for bargains. But as far as tenants, they were, they were pretty scarce. So that was my moment to focus and consolidate, I would say. And what happened with the $12,500 apartment that you put more money into to renovate? Uh, I moved in there, had a great bachelor lifestyle. Then I got married. I had two kids, and I'm still in the same place. <laughs> so you live in it? I live in it. Awesome. Okay. And what about the brownstone? How much did you buy that for and how much you put in and what's it worth? The brownstone I picked up, um, that, that was in, in 1997. It was in a New York Times ad, believe it or not. And um, I picked that one up for, I believe, about 285. And um, I did, did, did some, a little bit of reno and it's probably worth about eight times that today, I'm guessing. But, you know, um, Joe, if I could just jump, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a step back because I looked over, you know, some of the th- some possible topics for today. And I, and I like to tell people about actually the, the, the biggest mistake I ever made, which led me to get to the brownstone. In 1996, I went to a foreclosure auction knowing nothing and ended up bidding, got excited in the, in, in the auction and ended up bidding on a property and winning a property that I knew nothing about. And it ended up actually uh, being a, a crack house in a horrible neighborhood in Brooklyn with squatters in it. And I actually uh, lost my, my contract deposit. <laughs> and from there... How much was that? Uh, I, lost, I walked away from 2500 bucks, okay. which was, wasn't the end of the world. I got my, my lawyer got me out of it. But I learned a real lesson about looking before you leave and due diligence because at the time... You know, if you started in, in New York in 1992, and at that time it was 1997, everything was going up. So I, I never thought that I could be in a bad situation at a foreclosure auction. I thought that was just like gold, right? <laughs> I mean, who, who could screw that up? Well, I screwed it up pretty bad. It was the scariest house I've ever seen. There were needles lying around the house. There was like a, I, I had to like pry, pry back the plywood to, to climb in a window because it was all boarded up. There was an abandoned lot next to it with a pit bull roaming around. The property on the, on the other side was burned out. There were some very intimidating housing projects around two blocks away. I was completely out of my element. Worst mistake I ever made. Dumbest thing I ever did. And I, fe- and I feel very fortunate to have bounced back from that. And how did that help you get into the brownstone? Well, I was just looking for something else to buy. And before I got into the auction, I saw an ad in the New York Times, and there was a brownstone on a block in Brooklyn that I thought was out of my price range. But after the auction debacle, I went back to the classified ads. There was no internet then. And that property was actually still available. So I went to check it out. It was the last house that had been rehabbed on a block that at the time wasn't great. But what I thought was great about it, that it was only three blocks from the busiest subway stop in New York City, which happens to be like one block away from where the Barclays Center is now, if you're familiar with that. It's where the New Jersey Nets play basketball. Mm-hmm. And Atlantic the Avenue. New York... Yep, yep, it's right there. So 
at that time, that was a nothing neighborhood. It was pretty bad, you know. I mean, there was a lot of drugs going around, and it was, it was a little bit scary. But I knew that it was close to the train. I saw New York City was 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 coming along really nicely. Property values are going up, and I thought that well, it's not going to be uh, bad for that long. And I'll tell you, when I first got there, the first day that I went to the property after the closing, there was a guy across the street. He came over to introduce himself to me, and he said, just to let you know, we do hustle drugs around here. We're selling crack right across the street, but it's no big deal. And that's what it was like in 1997. <laughs> so needless to say that right now, this is a beautiful tree-lined brownstone block. Like Those people are no longer around, and we're doing great business out there. So it's, it's really turned around a lot, I, I, can, I can tell you. From that brownstone, when you purchased it in 1997 to today, what else have you purchased? Well, since then, I stuck I stuck to the brownstone, and I bought um, I have some condo units in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I have five units in Michigan. So what happened is I'm from Ann Arbor, as you know, and my um, I have a sister who got multiple sclerosis. So I was home for a while. I went home to help help out with my sister. So I had a few weeks downtime. And I did what I always do when I'm bored, which is look through classified ads again and look at real estate stuff. And I saw a three-bedroom condo for sale in the neighborhood I grew up in, which is close to campus. Um, it was asking 165000 And I thought to myself, wow, I bet if this was fixed up, it could rent out for, you know, for pretty good money. So that was my first deal. I, I closed, closed out that rehabbed it. Um, I have a designer in New York who I met, and so we, 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 we made it beautiful. And then I just put out the word in the building that I was a buyer, and within two years, four more units came my way. So today, I own five units of the 20-unit brownstone. Um, you know, so I'm a, I'm a 25% shareholder. I'm the largest shareholder in the building, and uh, all my apartments in that building are rehabbed beautifully, and I rent them out to graduate students. And the reason I love that investment so much, Joe, is because I'm familiar with the turf. It's Ann Arbor, Michigan, my hometown. This place is like it's less than a mile from campus, so it's just far enough away that you don't get those uh, red plastic cups in your front lawn every Sunday morning, <laughs> and you're not hearing all the crazy parties, but you still got great access to campus and downtown. So, what I'm, who I'm looking for there. Joe, I'm looking for grad students to kind of have it together and young working professionals. And I've I've been able to get those people consistently. When you take a look at the, I mean, clearly, you know, the the brownstone appreciation, 285 purchase price worth eight times more than that today. It's highly unlikely you'll get that in Ann Arbor. But when you take a look at the cash flow month, uh, every month the cash flow coming in, what is the best investment that you've made? Well, the best investment that I made, I think, I think was the was was, well, you know what, cash flow wise, it would have to be it would, it would have to be the brownstone. But I love the Ann Arbor investment um, because the quality of, of the tenants I can get there is so high, and the lo- and the location is great. And Joe, when I look at when I look at um, real estate investment, and I think you know this will be a, a tip I'd like to pass along to your audience is. I think that it's a big mistake only to look at spreadsheets and numbers because, as you know, when you buy a property, you don't know what's going to happen. And if you have one empty month or if you have to do an expensive repair, your whole spreadsheet can be out the window. 
Yep. So I've never been a flipper. I've never looked to turn things around quickly. I completely, I completely respect that business. It's just never something I've done. I'm looking to be a long-term landlord because I like it and I enjoy it. And the tip I would, I, w- I, would li- I would like to leave for your audience is that when you buy a property, you have to think of the end user. You know, when I went to University of Michigan Business School, they always told us, you know, don't focus on profit, focus on your customer. If you focus on profit, that's backwards, right? And so to me, looking at that spreadsheet first is kind of backwards. I'm looking at my customer. Who is my tenant going to be? Why are they going to rent from me? What's going to be great about this property is going to attract these tenants? So for me, it starts with a great community, starts with a great location, access to public transportation, things around that are, are attractive. And my rule of thumb, Joe, like my number one rule of thumb is, and I don't know how I thought this up, but it stayed, it's, it's served me well in the 20 plus years I've been doing this, is I would never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, offer an apartment for rent that I would not be willing to live in myself. That has served me well. So in other words, if it's, if it's a, a property in a, in a marginal neighborhood or a bad neighborhood or if it feels unsafe, I just won't get involved. And, 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 and I'm not putting down anyone else who does because there's all sorts of ways to make money in real estate. But I, you know, I, I, I go back to my rule. Is that if I wouldn't live in it myself. I would not offer it to rent for somebody else. And it doesn't mean it has to be in the most expensive area in town or anything like that. But if it doesn't feel clean, if it doesn't feel safe, if I'm not going to look forward to coming home every day, I, I, I just don't get involved because I think that if, if I'm not willing to live there and if I can't picture it, then I can't sell it to somebody else. With the brownstone, the 285 purchase price, are you seeing anything like that right now in Brooklyn or Queens or anything, or has it has it passed at this point until the market corrects itself? I don't think it's passed, but I just think that if you want to get deals like that, you you have to you have to be a pioneer. I mean, you can't you 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 can't just follow everyone because it, the, the trail has already been blazed. And you got to remember is that when I bought that place for two eighty five, it was the last abandoned house on the block that had been rehabbed. Right, and there were people across the street selling crack. So this wasn't like a a a, a, a beautiful tree line block, and you're not going to walk into a, a beautiful tree line block for cheap. But you can find something that's close to the train in an up and coming neighborhood. But you just have to think out of the box a little bit, you know. So I would look for something that's a little bit grubby, um, that maybe needs some rehab that's not beautiful, where you know, with a seller that's motivated. But most of all, in New York City, transportation's key. So you got to be close. You know, you got to be close to the train. But I think that there are there are opportunities like this all the time. But the thing is, is that you you, you sort of have to like pound pound the pavement for this stuff because these properties are never advertised, and by the time it's showing up. Um, in Liz pendants or, or on the foreclosure sheet, it's too late because you're going to be bidding against like syndicates with a lot of money, you know? So I, I think you really have to sort of like walk the pavement, look at an ugly house. What's going on in there? I bet this guy's motivated. You know, it's, I, I think if I was starting, if I was starting over, I'd be doing it like that. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? My best advice ever, I think, is to invest with the end user in mind and always think of your always think of your customer first. So if I were flipping a house, which I don't, 
I would think of the person buying it, right? I would think of why is this house going to live with somebody else? Why, what is so special about my house? It's going to make a tenant want to live there. Things, you know, th- things like that. So my, my best advice is to put people ahead of money. I think that's what it comes down to. Because if you're not thinking of your end user, if you're not thinking of your customer, if you're only thinking of your pocket, like, you know, it's probably going to fall apart. And I've had this argument with people in my office before about focusing on money versus focusing on process, you know. So if I were in the car business, I would not try to, you know, make the most profitable car, you know, at the cheapest production cost and the highest retail value. I would try to, like, make the, make the best machine possible for the money I had, and I would let people come to it because people always follow quality. And if you think about the people first and the quality first and the quality of what you're doing and you don't take shortcuts and you make a place that's nice to live in and you don't go with the cheapest thing possible, I think you can have great results because your competition won't do that stuff. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah. All right. Well, first, a quick word from our best ever partners. If you want the full real estate investing experience, then work your money with the WYM Group. Uh, The WYM Group is Michelle Wong's company. She was interviewed in episode 512, and their website is T-H-E-W-Y-M-Group.com. Best ever book you've read? Uh, My my best ever book I've read, I'm going to go with The Art of Selling Real Estate by Patricia Cliff, who works for Corcoran. She wrote a fantastic book that anyone who's selling real estate should read. It's the most hands-on real estate uh, brokering book I've ever read. And, the, and I'm going to give you one more. It's called The Richest Man in Babylon. I've read it twice and the author escaped me at the second. It'll, it, it's, it's the best, simplest, most hands-on finance book that anyone could ever read. The Richest Man in Babylon is number one. The Art of Selling Real Estate by Patricia Cliff is number two. Best ever personal growth experience and what'd you learn from it? My best ever personal growth experience, um, I don't mean to, to cheat again, but that was probably the very humbling experience of, of, of buying, of jumping in without doing any research and accidentally buying a drug den, crack house, losing $2,500 and a whole lot of pride. And, and from there, I, I really learned that, that you can only get lucky for so many times that you really got to do your research in this business. and. And for, 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 for Christ's sake, don't ever buy a house without seeing it, if you can help it. Best ever deal you've done? My best ever deal I've done was buying uh, an apartment in Manhattan in 1992 for $12,500 that I still live in today. I, 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 can, I, I don't think I'll ever be able to, to, to top that return. What do you think it's worth now? Um, uh, I'm going to say... Maybe one point one million. That's quite a return. How much did you do in rehabs? How much money? I think I probably put in two fifty over the years. It's a really nice. It's a nice place. You know, I'm, I'm happy with the apartment. Best ever way you like to give back? Um, I like to give back with with my personal time, and you know, I'm I'm glad you. I'm really glad you brought that up because I think I think that when you really jump in there, it's, it's always best. So the last. The last uh, give back thing I did, which I really loved, was I have a client who is a public school teacher in New York City, and she's got some, and she started an architecture program. She's an architect by training. Started an architecture program for high school students who really showed an aptitude in wanting to do that. You know, and these are 
these are any inner city kids. And so she asked me if I'd be willing to come sit in because they were working on floor plan design. So what she did is it was so clever. She actually gave them a blank floor plan of her apartment. She didn't tell them it was her apartment and she had them design the space with the blank floor plan. Now these are, you know, 14, 15, 16 year old kids and there are about uh, 15 of the kids in this class. And so she had me come in for two days and go over these floor plans and critique them from a broker's point of view and help the kids uh, tweak their designs a little bit like to maximize the value of, of, of these apartments. Mm -hmm. And so everyone learned a lot. It was so much fun. And she actually sent me a note um, and I, I really, I love this. And the note said that the kids were asking uh, when Mr. Real Estate was gonna come back. <laughs> <laughs> I, I so I, 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 yeah, so I really, I really like that because those are the kind of things that people never forget. So I, I like to get involved personally, one-on-one -on -one in situations like that, kind of roll my sleeves up. Um, my company, City Habitats, has a, 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 ch a charity division called City Habitats Care. So I represent my office in that. We do a coat drive. We do food drives once a year. We, we help out at, with City Harvest, you know, preparing meals for people. We gather food, like all, all sorts of things. So I think um, giving back is awesome. Feels I'm, I'm going to challenge you to come up with a different answer for this following question. So... What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate or the second biggest since you have to come up with a new answer besides that auction property? Okay, I'm going to say that the biggest mistake I made in real estate was... You know, Joe, I don't, I don't, mean, to, I don't mean to cop out, but, but that's, that's really the big one. But it was so stupid, that's got to count for like 10 mistakes. <laughs> I mean, come fine, on. Fine, who, fine, who, fine. Who, 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 who would go to an auction and, 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 and Joe, the opening bid was $12,000 on this property. And I ended up closing for 42500 So I bid up a property four times that I'd never seen before just because I was caught up in the moment. All right, and like, uh, uh, come on! Like, uh, how, how much? How much dumber than that? How much dumber than that can you be? And for, because of that, I, I got pretty careful. Fair enough. All right, what's the best place the best ever listeners can reach you? The best place that they could reach me is um, www.tiga.nyc. T i g a. dot nyc. Awesome. Well, Tiga, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your advice with the best ever listeners and talking about how you started snatching up those apartments in the early 90s and you still have the first one that you bought and it has uh, to say it's appreciated would be an understatement it you know you bought it for 12,500 put in about 250,000 it's worth over a million now you're living in it plus you've got the student rentals that you have in Ann Arbor Michigan home of the Michigan Wolverines and you um, you've you found a, a niche in that area as well and you know, just just hearing from you about you know your advice on invest with the end user in mind, really taking that to heart. I think that's something that is so important, whether it's uh, investing as investment properties or when we come up with our own business. But thinking about who's, as you said, who's my customer going to be? 
Why would they rent from me? What's in it for them? And then thinking about that first and then uh, customizing the property so that it fits that to, you know, as, as, as well as you can while keeping in mind the cost. So thanks so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Joe, thank you. And listen, Joe, I don't mean to cheat, but while you were talking, I thought of another classic flub I made, and I can tell it in 15 seconds. Do it. Do it. Okay. All right. I've been in the job about one year. It was my broker job. A guy walked into our office and said he had a $2 million budget to buy an apartment. And this was, this was in 2008, so that would, that, that would be a huge budget at that time, right? So I was asking this guy questions. He looked like he didn't have a dime. He was wearing a, you know, jeans and a t-shirt and flip-flops. And I think it was obvious to both of us that I wasn't taking him very seriously. So I asked him to send me some qualifying documents so we could get started. He sent me his, his asset statement. Um, his father was a very a wealthy hedge fund manager. This guy had, I think he had about 40 million liquid dollars. And then he sent me a note saying that he would rather work with an agent who would take him seriously. <laughs> so what I learned is that you should never, ever uh, prejudge or pre-qualify people too harshly. And if you do it, you got to do it in a, in a way that is gentle and kind and polite and professional. Not the way I did it in, in 2008. Great. I think lesson. I might have almost, almost rolled my eyes at this guy. <laughs> I will never do that again. <laughs> Great lesson, Tiga. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. All right, Jeff. Thank you, buddy. Bye-bye. If you want the full real estate investing experience, then work your money with the WYM Group. Uh, the WYM Group is Michelle Wong's company. She was interviewed in episode 512, and their website is T H E W Y M Group dot com.